HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. We decided it's high time we do an episode about Mary Jane. Marijuana, things are happening. That's right. This episode is about pot. We're exploring the rhetoric surrounding legalization in New York's recent gubernatorial primaries. And a cheesemonger turned cannabis consultant shares the tricks of the trade. Great. So do you want to conquer the world? Do you want to have hazy eyes? Do you want to, you know, just relax all day and be floaty? And we find out how one exemplary South Carolina farmer is trying his hand at a new crop. Every plant that comes up from seed is different. And so it's... It's learning how the plant grows, how it responds, and then familiarizing myself and my senses with this plant. Plus, Hannah Forden and I taste test the hottest new cocktail ingredient, CBD. So subscribe to Meat and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts and be the first to know when the newest episode of Meat and 3 drops. And welcome to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. And on today's episode, we puff puff chew with Rupa Bhattacharya, editor in chief of Munchies, the Vice Media Vertical, about all things food. And with her, she brings Bong Appetit, a cookbook on mastering the art of cooking with weed. With edibles and CBD lattes abound, it's no wonder that people are buzzing with cannabis in the kitchen. But how do you decarboloc... I don't even know how to say the word. We're going to get to that in a second. The THC to make it tasty and make yourself feel toasty. From flour to fan leaf, keef to water hash, we learn about how to make weed-infused tinctures for dirty martinis, amp up the cannabinoids and sour cream for nachos, and chop up chimichurri for a mighty marijuana-y ribeye. Remember... A watch pot never bakes. That's my terrible weed joke. Sorry. That was that was pretty. That was good. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today. And I embarrassingly was asking you right before the show, um, what's the cool way to say weed? Is it weed? Is it marijuana? Like, what is the lingo these days? Um, gosh, so it's definitely not marijuana. Um, <laughs> 
uh, most people in the cannabis world will say cannabis. Um, the, that's the sort of more serious. Um, it is a, med- a medicine type name for it. Um, but on the other hand, if you keep saying cannabis, 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 it can, can get a little bit clinical. And so um, we made a sort of conscious distinction to ma- say weed um, in the book. So we say weed more frequently than, than, than most other things. But yeah, there's definitely there are there are a lot of p- point of view on every side of this of this story. You know, I embarrassingly also Googled what is weed. What did you learn? Yeah, <laughs> um, it's it's been a while since I've I've been around the substance, but indigenous is central in South America, obviously a psychoactive drug. But I, I didn't realize how many people around the world actually partake in weed, and it was estimated that five percent of the global population use weed. So that's like over two hundred million people, and it's the most commonly used illegal drug in the U.S., which I, I assumed, and legal in what only. Colorado and California at the moment? Uh, a couple others. Colorado and California have recreational. Um, uh, in addition to Oregon, um, Massachusetts is about to start um, a couple. There's a few others. Yeah, it's in coming, Canada yeah. soon, too, right? Canada as starts a country. in a couple weeks. Uh, yeah, in a couple weeks on October 16th, I think it, it's happening in Canada. Yeah, and, you know, shifting from weed as this recreational drug to the culinary realm is, is an interesting thing because there's been that crossover for years. Can you explain to me what some of the first uses of, of weed in the kitchen might have been historically? Oh, so historically, I mean, you're talking about things that go back to bang, right? You're going back, talking back uh, to ancient India. And so you've got uh, sort of hashish being cooked into tea. You've got, I mean, this goes back centuries. Um, but in terms of how we eat weed now, uh, the vast majority of it, I think, it's been the cultural trend of it came about in about the 70s, 60s, 70s, and it was mostly to get as high as possible and to stuff as much weed as possible into as much as possible. Um, and basically what that meant is it gave edibles a bad rap. It gave it sort of a twofold bad rap. In one end, it was everything tasted sort of sludgy and grassy. On the other hand, everything just got you really, really high or, or not high <laughs> at all. Um, I think there's a... There, and now, I mean, that's still something that edibles uh, are... are um, sort of accused of there's like a viral tweet that's like um edibles once only kick in once they hear you talking shit about them um <laughs> which you know one of the things we did with this book was uh try to make sure that the dosing made sense um we gave people a lot of different ways to dose it because fundamentally we're writing this book for people who are both in and out of legal states so if you're in a legal state you can actually get a lot of the infusions and the, a lot of the products that we use to make to add weed to food really easily you can go to the store and you can buy olive oil you can buy canola oil you can buy honey um if you aren't, or you can buy genuinely just flavorless distillate that gets you high that without adding any flavor whatsoever. Um, with this and with the book, we, what we wanted to do is make sure that even if you live in a non-legal state, you can still make the sort of things that are in it. And so the recipes are all calibrated so that if, depending upon what you have access to, you can adjust the dosing accordingly. And we've given options for like if you have access to flour, if you have access to trim, if you have access to hash, whatever it is that you can get, you can make something out of, and we can give you approximate numbers for what that'll look like when you infuse it. I think my biggest overall question was, does it taste good? Because in reading about Indian bong, B-H-A-N-G, it's a drink of sorts, and you ground the cannabis, and it's mashed in a mortar and pestle, then mixed with milk and filtered and flavored. Um, It doesn't seem like the most appetizing thing, because it's associated with uh, H-O-L-I, holy, the Indian spring holiday, but... I never got any kind of inference of it actually being delicious. Right. And it historically hasn't been. Um, I think a lot of the the technologies that are being used now to, um, so essentially 
weed, uh, THC or weed is, is both alcohol soluble and fat soluble. So any infusion you're going to make um, at home is going to either be into alcohol or into fat. And so um, the temperature at which you do it matters. The the speed at which you do it matters. Whether you um, roast toast it in the oven first to decarboxylate it first, that matters. So there's all these steps that you can Can you take. say that word again? Decarboxylate. But everyone says decarb because it's really hard. Yeah, but I mean, um, this this is the the most important thing to know about releasing the power of flavor as well as THC. Yes. Um, and so essentially, um, and there's science that uh, many people know better than I do, but essentially what you have to do in order to activate the THC and make it e- like better, easier for your body, to, possible for your body to absorb it, is you have to essentially roast it at a, slow, at a low temperature or hold it at a low temperature to convert the THCA that's present in the flour to THC. Um, so... Some, in some of the dishes in this book, we, we tested it both with decarbed and not decarbed bud. Um, so some of the alcohols, for example, are done with the un, not decarbed bud. And the flavor is there. The, the weed flavor is there. But there's not a lot of potency in terms of, like, is it going to get you high? Um, and so there's a difference. Like, there's, like, the whole first section of the book is just very dense charts and graphs of, like, what X technique does for Y strength. Um, and there, there's just there's a lot you can do. And sort of how how you get there is kind of entirely in your hands. That's what I was saying to my wife in reading this book, and it's been over a decade and a half since I've been around weed. Um, I'm like, oh my God, I do not know anything about this substance um, in both the smoke world as well as the edible world. Because one, I didn't know the difference between THC and CBD, if you can kind of clarify that. But that Aside from the flower, trim, node, fan leaf, stalk, these trichomes, yes. um, so many parts can be utilized for so many different things. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, the plant has incredible sort of breadth of what it can be used for. Um, and oh, sorry, if you're asking about THC and CBD, essentially THC is the thing that gets you high. Very, again, very basic baseline. THC is the thing that gets you high. CBD is the thing that makes your body feel good, basically. I mean, there's larger conversations to be had about both those things but um so when you have like a cbd coffee you're not getting high off of it right like if you go you know or you're consuming a cbd oil you're not getting high you're just you're getting the sort of physical sensations that usually you get from smoking but without that part that's interesting so it happens from the exterior in whereas i feel like the idea of what weed is emanates from inside out or you know it's more of a mental than physical thing yeah, I think, I mean, I th- my, yes, like essentially like CBD has um, health benefits, but they're not, it, it, it is, it's not psychoactive. So let's talk about all these different parts of, I almost said marijuana plant. Can I say that and still be cool? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'm, you're so honest. The flower, trim, node, fan leaf, stalk. What are each of those parts and how are they utilized? Um, so the flower is the bud. If you're used to smoking weed, like that's the stuff that you're going to see. Like that's the stuff that you buy, right? Like that's. Uh, that's what people, most people imagine as weed. Um, trim is the stuff that's sort of like uh, the smaller leaves, the base of the buds. There's a diagram in the book that I feel is completely not helpful to anybody listening on the radio, so I apologize. But they're the little flower leaves off the side uh, of the bud, and those are generally lower in both THC, and they're usually trimmed off, hence the name trim, um, in the in the processing. So they're usually cheaper, and they usually and they're better usually used for infusions. Um, fan leaves are the pot leaves that are the iconic pot leaves that you see on necklaces. They are not psychoactive, but they do contain CBD. Um, there are some recipes in the book that use them for kimchi and pesto and things like that. Um, you can eat them. They taste, they have like an herbal grassy flavor, um, but they're not, they're not going to get you high. Um, 
you had more questions. The stock. Uh, the stock is just the stock. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, parlaying that into yeah. uh, certain things that are weed but aren't, like keef and water hash were also things that I didn't know anything about. Yeah, absolutely. And like, definitely like there, um, and there's so many levels of what you can do in this, like with the, both weed and with this book, it would, depending upon what you have access to, um, in the back we've had, we spoke to a couple of the experts from the show about like what, um, their favorite things are to use and what their favorite things are to do. And there's all these distillates and, and extracts and they, and terpenes when terpenes are things that sort of distill the flavor of a certain, uh, of a strain of weed into, um, into just a flavor, essentially. It's just like a drop of, of flavoring. Um, but so much of that, and it would have been really nice to go into so much more detail about that in the book, but it also had to be relevant to people who lived in places where they wouldn't be able to get, just they wouldn't be able to walk into a weed shop and get everything. I, I actually love that part about terpenes because it is the weed and food pairing guide because yeah. it does talk about flavor so much and, and well smell and taste and you can go from acrid citrus uh, earthy floral herbal sweet and fruity and then there were distinct flavors too uh limonin uh, yeah. linalool um and yeah i you know this is not anything i considered as a high school or collegiate when i was you know absolutely not right i mean you go usually i mean so you don't smoke weed but you know when you buy weed you're not you anymore although now i guess you you can get a little bit more even in new york you can get a little bit more specific with it but yeah essentially like if you have access to like an incredible menu of buds then you can say i'd like a high limonene strain to pair with fish right and so essentially a limonene is is a uh has that sort of like citrus lemony um note to it and it works really well we pair it in the rest in the book with um like a whole roast fish like a high limonene strain is the whole roast fish and it works beautifully um, there's a preserved lemon as well. Uh, Joe Nathan's actually Joe Nathan's preserved lemon roast chicken. Um, and yeah, it's the same thing. It's the same. That's the th- those are the things that work well there. Yeah. I mean, talk about flashback to my past, you know, the, the Jewish bubby and, and, you know, uh, the, the dabbling in weed smoke during, you know, my I, formative yes. years. I mean, seeing Joe Nathan's recipe in there kind of hit both hearts. She appeared in the show. I am so, was so delighted by that. Yeah. Excellent. We're going to take a quick break and talk about how to actually start activating that weed and be able to cook with it. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Hey, welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here again with Rupa Bhattacharya and the munchies 
Bong Appetit Cookbook about how to master cooking with weed. And we're going to go into that cooking aspect because I think we talked a lot about what it is and how to activate it. Um, but one, one of the most important things I thought in the book was a piece of equipment called an herb grinder. Um, and it seems so simplistic to, to have one thing that maybe unleashes a lot of the power of this. But what kind of equipment is needed in the kitchen to be able to turn weed from this thing into a pantry ingredient? Um, so the herb grinder is, um, I think, at all times, the number one piece of kitchen equipment sold on Amazon. I've actually had colleagues at other jobs be like, we should really sell an herb grinder. And I had to be like, that's for weed. <laughs> um, so the herb grinder essentially allows you, uh, basically, the greater the, um, the surface area of the product you're using, the easier it is to extract like as much product as much THC from it as possible. Um, your basic equipment setup can be really, really simple. It can be, or it can be as complicated as you want it to be. Um, one of the things that works really well, actually, if I mean, if you're going to, since we're on Heritage Radio, I'm going to say it. Um, sous vide works really well mm-hmm. because you can hold a consistent temperature, and like if you're going to buy a vacuum sealing bag, you may as well like also get high um but so uh basically a couple things you need you need like an herb grinder or something to like crush it uh, relatively evenly and therefore like maximize the surface area you need some cheesecloth um like some jars or something to hold it in essentially uh thc is both fat and alcohol soluble um dissolving it into alcohol is actually fairly difficult um don lee the legendary bartender came up with a technique that's in the book called the uh, to make a drink called the green dragon and that actually uses a nitrous canister um again like if you're gonna do the modernist cuisine thing you may as well like also get high Larry doing it so if you're if you also own a whipped cream canister cool like you can use that to infuse weed into booze um but uh yeah so basically what you need to do is and so fat is generally definitely in any case the easier method so butter olive oil coconut uh coconut oil canola oil whatever all of those things work pretty well essentially you've got a two-step process of infusing um, it's possible to do it in more sim- more simply. You'll get more THC if you do it as a two-step process. The first step is to essentially roast the, um, grind it, roast it at a low temperature um, to decarboxylate it. That essentially is an act that converts the THCA present in organic material to THC. At that point, then you um, combine it with your fat and you, inf- and you essentially steep it into the fat. Uh, again, low temperature, consistent temperature. It takes a while. If you do it in like mason jars, like you're canning, like essentially low temperature canning, that tends up, ends up working pretty well. Like a slow cooker can also hold that temperature relatively well. Um, but really all you actually need is like, you know, some cheesecloth, a grinder and a pot of water. Yeah. And once you make these things, they are pantry ingredients in it of yes, themselves. Exactly. Um, and let's go back to Don Lee or cocktails, yeah. the yeah. world of, of, of drinking weed, the potable, because you have a weed infused whiskey for Manhattan, yes. a weed infused gin for a dirty martini. Once you set up your bar, you're good to go for a while. Oh, absolutely. But again, you talked about dosage. How do you regulate the strength of THC in these hydrosols so very difficult it's really difficult to do any of these things and to we essentially like we lab tested everything we did in the book um and we altered recipes accordingly uh because again like we wanted to give you and those lab tests are our lab tests and they have to do with the weed we used how it was harvested how, our technique in infusing it it gives you something to extrapolate from but still as the dosages are closer than they have historically been in books like this but they're still extrapolations, right? Like, they are our lab tests for the circumstances under which we infused the weed. But, you know, like, it's, which is, again, closer than you'll ever get otherwise. But so, generally, with alcohol and, and weed, the best move is to keep dosages low. So, the vast majority of our cocktails, nothing there goes above five milligrams, which is um, a gentle edible, essentially. Um, and there's a lot of conversation in there about 
combining weed and alcohol and whether you should. It's kind of an advanced level move. Yeah. I mean, do you wonder what the dosage was for the infamous recipe out of Alice B. Toklas's book? You know, her pot brownies. Yeah. Like, how strong do you think those were? Well, the thing is that there's also been significant advances in agriculture, right, since that book was written. And so... Um, like I think that a, a lot of weed now is stronger than, I mean, again, like if you've been, my parents don't know about this book, so, you know, like <laughs> here we are, but if you've been smoking weed for a while, like you've probably noticed that it's gotten significantly stronger in the last decade or 15 years, right? Like, um, the stuff that you, you mean through secondhand smoke, through secondhand, just yeah. through, through <laughs> anecdotal experience. Um, and just because of incredible advantages in terms of agriculture, in terms of how we can cultivate weed to be strong, to be this, to be that, to have these flavors, um, so there's just there's a lot of moving parts to like how that dosage was calculated slash how it worked. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I mean, I definitely like I think you're using significantly more weed, but I don't know if you're a able to get extract the same amount of if it was as strong and b if you could extract as much THC out of it. You know what I found? Well, there are two ways I kind of this is a choose your own adventure. We could e- either talk about apple bongs or we can go into munchies not the entity itself but appetizers um or maybe one in the same yeah yeah uh what i found fascinating is is that there's still a playfulness around uh weed and this book that there are things like apple bongs oh absolutely Um, so even though like the first 10 15 percent of the book is really heavy reading and i found it really truly fascinating uh the science behind it the thought and the the time and patience that you have to have to actually make these you know, uh, fat and alcohol soluble yes. things. Um, and then you jump right into it because then you can have, you know, nachos with weed infused sour cream. If you have that sour cream at the ready, Exactly. but with, with, with the moniker munchies, um, does this book hit on all culinary levels or just stoner food? So that was really, that's really interesting. It's a good question. Um, we absolutely didn't want the book just to be stoner food. There is definitely like an, an intense push. Um, like you'll notice there's like a, there's, um, and these recipes are from chefs too. And you've, if you've ever had to get recipes from chefs, you know what a giant nightmare <laughs> it is. I will never do it again. No, it's I say that, but I'm going to probably I mean, do it again. I mean, yeah. the chefs we work with are all <laughs> delightful and wonderful. And I never said that. But on the other hand, like, uh, you know, getting recipes from chefs, they're always incredibly sort of fascinating and interesting and high end. And, um, Definitely, we want to strike a balance between those two things. Um, there are there there's a food and they're literally called stunner candy bites, and it's like a candy bar mashup, delightful situation. But um, there's also in the same chapter, there's a really beautiful um, eucalyptus gummy from a pastry chef out in Chicago. You know, there's like there's good there's I mean there's the, every bit of the spectrum is oh, covered. Those are those after dinner mints exactly. by Elizabeth, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. and, yeah. and I, I love the playfulness of those things, but obviously there's so much technique behind some of these elements. Totally. Um, and you're going to get a great double lemon roast chicken from Joe Nathan. Uh, the Korean fried chicken is from Dookie Hong, yeah. right? Like, So the ilk of people actually submitting these recipes are culinary pros. Oh, it, yeah. it, this is not like a larf of a book. This is really well studied and really well practiced. Absolutely. And also we tested because of the the labor inherent in building out all these infusions. Again, if you don't live in a legal state, if you do, you can genuinely go up and buy. You can probably buy weed peanut butter in California at this point. Like, But if you don't, um, to make sure that it worked, we tested both rest, all recipes in the book, both with and without. And so they all work just perfectly well without weed in them. They're just not going to get you high. Right? Like, um, but yeah, definitely there was an attempt here to like make sure that we hit all levels of the spectrum. So there's a brownie in there. It's a brownie sundae. Um, and you have the choice. The brownie can be infused. The peanut butter sauce and the sundae can be infused. Like there's a birthday cake that like it's the one sort of blowout recipe where you can genuinely infuse every single aspect of that birthday cake. 
Um, and then it turns into something horrific, like a 76 per person, like milligram per slice dose, Whew. which like, I mean, would I, that's like, you know, well, they all had yeah. to be tested and tasted and see not right. only that they were tasty, but that they worked. Right. So how many people on staff were cooking and, and sampling these wares? Um, so we, te- we, Basically, we tested everything offsite in New York, rather in uh, without weed. And then when we got to California for the shoot. We made sure we made all the infusions on site, and then they were being, and then we sent everything to the lab for testing, essentially, so that we would make sure we had everything tested and appropriate. Like, so we did it all at the photo shoot in California, and there was just about five people on staff there. Yeah. So, what was the tastiest thing you had in New York, and what was the tastiest thing you had during the photo shoot? Um, my favorite recipe in the entire book is the um, softshell crabs, the shishita mole. It's just so good. And it, it, I mean, the weed has it, the weed in this. In many of this, the recipes, the weed is like an added nice thing. It's never that high a dose. It's never quite enough. Sheldon Simeon has a pokey in there that's also just phenomenal. Um, and then. The best thing in California, there was, there genuinely, there was this, and this is sort of a, a weak cop-out answer, but there is a infused hash honey that's in the book. It's like a whipped hash honey. And we were that on basically anything. There's like, you can <laughs> eat that. I mean, I'd eat that off a shoe, but like, you know, um, we had a party to get rid of all of the weed uh, because we just had all this weed food that we couldn't do anything with. So we just had a party and invited all of our friends in LA to come take stuff with them because what were we going to do with it all? And um, put that on pizza and it was fantastic. Um yeah, I think it is some of these kind of not condiments per se, even though I could see a pantry full of weed infused vinaigrettes, but having flour infused butter or having, you know, uh, fan leaves to chop up for an herb, and I'm yeah. air quoting focaccia. Um, it's, it's kind of a cool thing to see weed come into its own because of its vastness rather than like uh, this preconception of what it is. Exactly. And I think one of the goals of the book was also just to be really clear that like, it isn't just about like, you know, hitting a giant bong in someone's basement. Like it can be beautiful. It can be high end. It can be pretty. It can be all of these things. And I think um, I'm really happy with the way that the book managed to, to get managed to get that across. Yeah. And I, who's to say that apple bong isn't an heirloom apple. Right. It's in, you know, a, a native seed yeah. of New York. But this book, I mean, aside from its great recipes and very topical uh, theme, what do you hope people get out of this? What do you hope happens to weed in the U.S. both as you know a psychoactive drug, but also in the culinary realm? Gosh, well, I mean, it's so hard to answer that question because, like, what I hope happens both from this book and from other things and from I hope that this continued normalization of weed helps to make sure that the weed becomes something that people all people can enjoy as opposed to only some demographics can enjoy um like we have this beautiful book it's a beautiful pink book and there are still people um facing prison time for the things that are serving long sentences for the things that we wrote a beautiful fun book about and so like I hope that one of the things this book does is contribute to the dialogue around weed to like normalize um weed as a both as a food ingredient, as a as a recreational activity, as something that people shouldn't be locked away for forever. As I just hope it adds to the conversation and gives weed some sort of like meaningful sort of entry into polite conversations that way. Aren't we trying to do that or aren't you trying to do that in food to create such diversity and create a platform where people can Absolutely. speak on a level that, you know, uh, everyone's the same and that there really isn't that big a difference between what we use and how we use things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, fundamentally that's my editorial goal altogether. And it's, you know, one angle of it versus another is, is, I mean, they're all very similar. Um, definitely trying to, it's leveling the playing field, but it's also leveling the amount, sort of the, the cultural playing field in terms of who gets to do this and who gets to use what. 
I mean, it sounds like a small percentage, 5% of the global population, but that's over 200 million people. Right. That, yep. that is no small fact. Right. Absolutely. Tw- 5% even then sounds small to me. Yeah. You know, but on the other hand, yeah. Well, I think it was yeah. over 50% in the U.S. have either used or are using weed at the time. So like Right now, at this yeah, very minute. At this second. high at this second. Yeah, yeah. Yes. My yeah. show, people are always puffing always. away. <laughs> But I, I really enjoyed, you know, not being a pot smoker at the moment. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation that came out of this book, the recipes that I will, you know, try without maybe uh, decarbing uh, the THC. But I, I am so happy to see that, you know, this can exist and not just as a novelty item. I'm, that's exactly what we're hoping for as well. Excellent. Well, yeah. thank you so much for coming on. Everyone should go out and get a copy of Bong Appetit out today and uh, start cooking through this book and maybe doing a little more extracurricular. Well, not even extracurricular anymore. It's curricular. Curricular, curricular activity. activity. Exactly. Excellent. Thanks yeah. again, Rupa. Thank you. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. A big thank you to Hearst, Music by Cookies, and Matt Patterson Engineering. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.